Well, we think about the nation of Israel. We think about the patriarchs. I did a study in uh, uh, SBI several, really a couple of years ago now, and I did it on the patriarchs, and we looked at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But when you think about the patriarchs, really, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, of course, Jacob had the 12 sons. And of the 12 sons, uh, that oldest was Reuben, the youngest was Benjamin. But the, some special things came out of that. If you remember... There we go. From their two special positions. From the tribe of Levi became the priest. So anybody that was going to be a priest had to come from Levi and then the high priest and the priest came from Aaron and on down. So that was the priestly tribe. And then the tribe of Judah would be where the king would come from. Of course, then the king David, David came from that tribe. And so those two tribes go together. So uh, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Judah. Now realize that the Messiah the king of Israel is also the great high priest. And you went, wait, wait a minute, what do you mean? How can you be a king and a priest? Because you've got to be tribe of Levi to be priest and tribe of Judah to be king. But I want you to say, how can the Messiah be both king and priest? Well, I want you to notice something. If this thing will work. And it's not working. There we go. Zechariah, look at Zechariah chapter 6, verse 13. Listen to what this says. Yes, it is he who built the temple of the Lord. And he who will bear the honor, this is the king, and sit and rule on his throne. Who is this? Who's going to rule on the throne? Who is it? Thus he will be a what? A priest on his throne, and the council of the peace will be between the two offices. The Messiah is going to be a king and a what? A priest. You could say, well, what? wait a minute. Really? How does that work? How does that work? Well, we're going to see. We're going to see how it fits together. And we're going to see as we look. This thing, for some reason, y'all, is not working. There we go. We're going to see this in Psalm 1. Is there something back there that uh, is causing this not to work? Are we okay? Okay. We're going to see it. We're going to look at Psalm 110 to start with. And then from there, we'll go on. Now, first of all, David is the one who wrote the Psalm 110. If you look at it, Psalm 110, it says, Lord gives dominion to the king, a Psalm of David. Now, David wrote about 70 to 75 of the 150 Psalms. So he wrote a bunch of the songs. This particular psalm, in certain parts of it, is quoted over 20 times in the New Testament. And even Jesus uses this psalm to show the deity of the Messiah. So we'll see it. Uh, Peter quotes this psalm on the day of Pentecost, and that uh, he talks about Jesus being the right hand of the Father. It's used 11 times in the Scripture. So we'll see it as we go through it. So the first thing we're going to start with is the promise of the ruling of the king, and that's the first three verses. Look what it says. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, and I'll just let me read the verses. He says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of the power of your power in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. So he says the, the, the king is coming and he's going to rule. That's what he starts about. And he's saying it is the ruling of the king. And notice verse 1 because there's a lot in this verse. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, what, what do you mean? The Lord says to my Lord. And if you notice that, notice that Lord... 
The first Lord is all four capitals, L-O-R-D, to my Lord, which is capital L, little O-R-D. We already know. What, what is that talking about? The word L-O-R-D, all capitals, is the name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. It's the personal name of God. We might say that's God the Father. And then the word Lord, L-O-R-D, with a capital L, is Adonai, which means the sovereign ruler and the king. And so if you look at this, it says, the Lord says to my Lord, and what we can say is God the Father says to the Son. Now, if you didn't know, if you didn't read it carefully, and if you just read, Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand, you might miss that Lord is all four capitals, while the other Lord is one capital and L-R-D. So one is the personal name of God, the other is the Adonai, so you might speak. So it's God the Father says to God the Son. And this is what he's going to say. Look what he says. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Now, let me, let me just uh, remind you of something. Jesus uses this psalm. I want you to hold your place there and turn to Matthew chapter 22. Just flip over there real quickly. It won't take but a second. Turn to Matthew 22. And the Pharisees, and while you're turning there, the Pharisees have come to Jesus and they're challenging him and all kinds of things. So Jesus decides he's going to ask them a question. So usually they ask Jesus a question, and sometimes when, they, Jesus asked, when they ask Jesus a question, he'd ask them a question back, and that would mess them all up because they didn't know what to say when he asked them a question. So they come together, and they're asking things like, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord with all your God and all your heart. And so verse 41 of Matthew 22, now the Pharisees were gathered together. Jesus asked them a question. Who do you think? What, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, when we say Christ, what do they mean? And when Jesus said to them, what do you think about the Christ? What would they think? The, the, the Messiah, right? The Christ. The Christ is the anointed one of God. That's the Savior. That's the one they're waiting for, right? But then he asked it in a kind of a funny way. Because would we say that the Christ is God? We, we, wouldn't we? When we talk about the anointed one of God, and the, the, would we say that the Christ is God? Yeah, okay, so look what it says. David says, what do you think about the Christ, the, the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, they knew the answer to that. They knew that. Maxine just answered it. And they said, Maxine knows it. You know they knew it. But anyway, so they said, they said to him, the son of David. See, the Messiah and the Christ is going to come through who? David, to go back to the promise of 2 Samuel 7, that the promise that the Messiah would come through David and be the king. And so they say, well, he's the son of David. Now, the son of David could be Solomon or somebody else. It could be, it could be a, a person, couldn't it? Just a regular person. But he says, who's the Christ? And they say, well, he's, he's the son of David. And then he said to them, then how come in the spirit David calls him Lord? which is the name for God, L-O-R-D, right? And then he quotes the psalm we're looking at, Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, how could he be a son? He says, if David calls him Lord, which the Greek word Lord there is kurios, which means the sovereign one, the deity. If, God, if David calls him deity, how could he be a son? And so they, they can't really answer. They, it, and actually it says no one was able to answer, nor did they ask him any questions after that. Because the truth is, obviously, the answer is that how could he be a son? Because How could he call him Lord? He's God. 
Jesus is saying the Messiah is God. And that what was a, what was a title of Jesus when he walked on the earth? The son of, no, well, he was called son of God. But in this particular episode, the son of who? David. And if the son of David is God, what is Jesus saying? I'm God. Now, let's go back to Psalm 110. I just wanted you to see that because Jesus uses Psalm 110 to prove or to show that the Messiah is God. And so when we see Psalm 110 and when it says, the Lord said to my Lord, uh, you know, sit at my right hand, he's saying God the Father is saying to God the Son. And see, they all knew that the answer is obvious, that he's God. And so the bottom line, Jesus Christ became a person, the son of David, who is God. That's what it's all about. So Psalm 110 is really powerful. So go back to Psalm 110. Look what it says. The Lord said to my Lord, the Father says to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. To sit at the right hand is the place of importance, is the place of authority. Let me ask you a question. Where is Jesus right now? How do you know that? It says it. Anybody know where it says it? It says it 11 times, by the way. Book of Hebrews about four times. And so the bottom line is Jesus has been raised up and seated. Ephesians tells us raised up and seated where? At the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus has come as the Messiah. The Lord has said to the Lord, the Lord God the Father has said to the Lord the Son, Come sit at my right hand until when? Until when? Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father waiting. Now, what did he tell us he was going to do before he left? What did he tell them? That's exactly right. He said, uh, let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house there are many rooms. It wasn't that way. I told you I'm going to go prepare a place for you. When I get ready, I'll come back and get you. When is he going to be ready? Where is he right now? See the right hand of the throne of the Father. He, he's prepared the place. And what's he waiting for? And what's the time? Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He says, you're going to sit here until you go back and rule as the king and crush your enemies. Whoa. You know, people talk about uh, Jesus real nice. He's not going to be that nice when he comes second time, is he? He came the first time to die. He comes the second time to what? To reign. And when he comes, we already saw Psalm 2. You remember we looked at Psalm 2 and he comes and he rules with a rod of iron. He's going to come in power. And watch what he says here. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, Father said to the Son, sit at my right hand, sit here until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's going to rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now he's he's going to explain it. Watch what he says. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Wow. Okay, the scepter. What is a scepter? It's the sign of the king. What is a scepter, by the way? It's like a, a stick, and that has on the top of it something on the top of it, you know, whatever, maybe some kind of deal, and it's a scepter. And so the king has that. If you remember uh, when Esther went to see the king, the Persian king, he had to pull out his scepter. If you came before the king and if he didn't hold down his scepter and let you touch the end of it, you were put to death. So Esther came in, didn't know what to do, didn't know what was going to happen, and he put the scepter down so she could touch it. Scepter is the position, it's the, it's the sign of a king. And so God says, 
the Lord will stretch forth your scepter from Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. Where's Jesus coming when he comes? And this is not coming in the clouds, right? You understand, he came the first time to die. He's going to come the second time to what? To reign. And in between, he's going to keep get us and take us out. But this is not what we're talking about. See, in the Old Testament, it never talks about the rapture. The church is never mentioned, so that's not even a part of it. He's going to come the second time to do what? To rule. And when he comes, he's coming as the king. And look what it says. Your strong scepter from Zion, you will rule in the midst of your enemies. When he comes, there are going to be a whole bunch of people not wanting him to come. You right? You understand that? I mean, there are going to be a whole bunch of people. This is during the tribulation time period, and the believers are being put to death, and the unbelievers are trying to rule, and there's all kind of judgments and everything going on, and then the heavens open, and he comes, and they will look on him whom they have pierced, and they're going to see him, and they're going to be moaning and groaning because he's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and Jesus Christ is going to land. Where's he coming when he comes, you know? Where's he going to land? Mount of Olives. That's right where he left from. You remember when he left and went up and everybody looked at him go and the angel said, what are you doing looking up there? Get back into the city. He's coming here just like he left. And he's coming. By the way, when he comes to the Mount, uh, uh, Mount, of, Mount of Olives, it's going to split. And there's going to be a water going from the temple and goes down into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea has animals in it after that. And they fish in the Dead Sea during the kingdom going to be amazing. The mountains are going to split. And notice what he says. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power and holy array from the womb of the dawn your youth or to you is to do. He says, everybody's going to come serve you. By the way, this is how he's coming. Revelation 19, 11, I saw the heavens open and he comes riding on a white horse and then everybody else, we're coming riding on horses with him. He's going ahead of us. We're saying, you just go ahead and handle everything. We'll be back here cheering, and he goes and he sets up that kingdom, and that's what we call the separation of the sheep from the goats, another kind of judgment. He's coming in the clouds to judge the earth, and many, as this says right here, many will come freely to serve the king. That's what they're going to do, and that's what we're going to do, by the way. We're going to serve the king, and we're going to want to hardly wait to serve the king, and we're going to be glad to serve him in any way he wants us to serve him. He's going to put to death the enemies, and he's going to rule in righteousness and justice. Now, so far we say, well, we all know that. He's a king. But what did Zechariah say? He's not only a king, he's what? He's a priest. And we go, a priest? Well, you already know that he did a priestly duty. What did he do as a priestly duty? What sacrifice did he offer? Huh? Himself. Exactly right. He offers himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of Father. Look what he says. He says uh, in verse 4, this is the promise. He says, the Lord has sworn. And notice it's L-O-R-D, all capitals, the Father has sworn. He won't change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And you go, what? 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 He's a priest forever? He's the promise of the priesthood. He's going to be a priest forever. He's not only the king, but he's the king what? The king priest. And we could say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We know that the king is in the tribe of Judah, but the priest is supposed to be the tribe of Levi. So obviously, he can't be a priest after the order of Levi. In fact, he can't be a Levite. Tribe of Judah is the king, so he's not a Levite. So this can't be a Levite. Look what he says. You're a priest after the order of who? Melchizedek. By the way, Melchizedek, If you, we're not going to go there, but Melchizedek was a priest and a king. Now listen to this. 
In the Old Testament, in Genesis 14, Abraham goes to a battle, wins a great battle, and on the way back, he is met by a man who is named Melchizedek. Melech means king, Zadok means righteousness. His name means kings of righteousness, king of righteousness, and he was a king and a priest from a city called Salem. Do you know what Salem is? It's Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He was a king priest of the city that we now call Jerusalem. And he came out to meet Abraham and Abraham recognized him as a king and a priest. And Abraham gave him a tenth of the victory of the spoils. There's a priesthood there called the Melchizedek priesthood. And God tells us in Psalm 110 that Jesus Christ priesthood it's not after Levi because he's not from the tribe of Levi. It's after Melchizedek. And sometime if you want to study uh, back at uh, Genesis 14, also the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 6 and, and a little bit more talks about this man named Melchizedek. A lot of people are confused. He is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. That's who he is. He's a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. There's some people who say that Melchizedek is Jesus in the Old Testament, and then he becomes Jesus in the New Testament. He's like that, well, the Bible tells us that this Melchizedek was like the Son of God. It didn't say he was the Son of God. He is not the foreshadow. He is not Jesus. He is a foreshadow of Jesus. And God actually says, you're going to have a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. His name means king of righteousness, and it also means king of peace, which is Salem. Shalom comes from there. Jerusalem, Jerusalem is, is Jehovah's peace. Zechariah, what does it say? He will build the temple, and he will, see, he can build a temple. Who deals with the temple? The priest. He will build the temple he will bear honor and sit and rule on his throne. He will be a priest on his throne. Well, technically, how are you going to be a priest and a king at the same time if you had to be a king from the tribe of Judah and a priest from the tribe of Levi? Well, God says Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, but his priesthood is not a Levitical priesthood. It's Melchizedek priesthood. And by the way, his priesthood is better, and that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. The Messiah will rule as king, and the promise is the Messiah will serve as a priest forever. Wow, that's incredible priesthood. Now, I have to tell you, it's hard. So when, when you start studying, and if you want to study Melchizedek, you're going to go to Psalm 110, you'll go to the book of Hebrews, you'll go to a couple of other places where he's actually mentioned. And it's, it's, it's pretty hard, but the bottom line is there was a man from Salem named Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest, and he is a foreshadow of Jesus. And so Jesus comes as a king and a priest, and Jesus' priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Levi. Now, the rest of the, of the psalm is the victory of the Messiah. Look at verse 5. Look what it says. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. You know, everybody talks about Jesus being so sweet, and he is. But when he comes, what does it say he's going to do? He's going to shatter kings. And then it says he will judge among the nations. He will fill them with 
corpse. He will shatter the chief men over the country. He's, going to, he's coming to judge, Revelation 19.11. He will judge the nations. Notice, he will judge among the nations. We call that the sheep and the goat. By the way, and I, I didn't even put the, I put, should have brought the slide that shows the end time events. Y'all all know them. And when Jesus comes back as the king of kings to set up the thousand year reign, this is when he judges the nations. And they're called the sheep and the goat, and the sheep are the people who have believed during the during the seven year tribulation that are still alive, and the goats are the ones who have not believed during the seven year tribulation that they're still alive. And he comes and he puts them to death, is what he actually does. He says that's why it says he will judge among the nations, he will fill them with corpse, he will shatter the chief men over the broad country. And then look, what happens after he does all of this? He will drink from the brook by the wayside, therefore he will lift up his head. There's rest and refreshment at the end. Psalm 110 is telling Jesus is coming, and he's coming to rule, but he's also coming as a priest. He's the king priest who will rule in righteousness and justice. So David gives a prophecy concerning the Messiah. The Lord, God the Father, declares the Lord, the sovereign son, the ruler. He's coming as a king and a priest. He will gain the victory and the rule, and the priest will sit on the throne. Is that amazing? Have, how, many, have you, how many of you really studied Psalm 110 before? Any of you really dug into it before and seen this? Some of you probably have. There's so much there. You know, we look at a Psalm 110, it's like seven verses, and we go, that's nothing. Well, look what's in there. Now, let's flip over because we've got one more and go to Psalm 150. Go to the very end. It's the last of the Psalms, and there's a reason it's the last one. Because it's a psalm of praise. And that's how the psalms end with praise. So look at 150, and I want you to see it. It's, it's beautiful. And I'm going to put it up here for you. And this is, this is it. Praise the Lord. Praise Him for His deeds. Praise Him with musical instruments. Everything praise the Lord. You know, I've had some people say, I, listen, I, I knew somebody that said, um, you could only sing the psalms in church. Psalms. You have to go to the book of Psalms. That's the songs you could sing in church. And you didn't use musical instruments. And I went, well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says sing praises to his name. That could be any song. You could make one up right now and sing praise to him. And we're going to see that he says use a whole bunch of musical instruments. So we got to be real careful when people just start making up things and saying, well, you can't use musical instruments. I say, why not? Look what it says. It starts off with praise the Lord. Notice, praise the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that what it says? Well, you want to say it? Praise, well, let's say it. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? Look, praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expense. Where is this sanctuary? Huh? Well, um, where is his sanctuary? It's not here. This isn't a sanctuary, right? This is an auditorium. Sanctuary is dwelling place of God. So he's everywhere. So the one thing, he is up there. He has this place that he's going to prepare a place, and there's the Father up there, and then there's the Son. And then he's also in every one of us. So it says here, praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Now, when this was written, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell believers like he does us. So he was probably meaning the sanctuary, meaning wherever the heavenly Father is. That's what he's probably meaning. And then, look at this. He says, praise him for his deeds. Watch. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Uh, what are some of his mighty deeds? Huh? He, part, huh? he parted the water? Yeah, that's one, he did that, didn't he? With a stick. 
Did he create the heavens and the earth? He just spoke it into existence, didn't he? I mean, I mean, think about all the things that he's done. Did he send his son, and his son became a person? I mean, that's a mighty deed. I mean, did Jesus die and rise again? That's mighty deeds. I mean, there's just all kind of things. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now, watch the next part. Let's talk about musical instruments. Praise him with the trumpet. Praise him with a harp, with a lyre, with a timbre, with dancing. You can dance. Are you sure you can dance? David danced before the David danced before the ark, did he not? Now Michael didn't like it because she thought it was embarrassing because he didn't look like a king because he was twirling. That's the Hebrew word for dance meant to spin. He was dancing and spinning around. Is it okay to dance? Listen, let me ask you something. If, I'm not saying to do this. If you got up and dance, listen, the other day I was watching a little one right there, first service, dancing, about this tall, dancing. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. See, it's, we're all kind of low-key, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Susie, you want to get up there and dance? <laughs> If Otis will go, okay. I don't think Otis is going to go. But anyway, all right. Anyway, look what it says. Praise him with a trumpet. Praise him with a harp. Praise him with dancing. Praise him with instruments and a pipe. Praise him with cymbals. And then he says, praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. I've been, uh, I, I, I have a reading program. I read all over the, I read Bible and different different things all the time. And I've, I met the one where they're, they're rebuilding the temple and they've got everybody and they got them all lined up and, and they've decided to get ready to do things and they got one whole group of, of priests on one side of the wall and another whole priest on the other side and they've all got musical instruments and cymbals and they're going to give this idea they're going to all go and everybody's going to start making noise and singing and shouting and everything. I mean, you know, I'm not saying we go crazy or anything, but I'm just saying that it is wonderful to be able to say to God, you're the greatest. And we, we have people up there playing musical instruments. I, I love it, actually. It covers up the voices. No, I'm just kidding. That is, our voices are fantastic. What, is anybody in here? Where, where's somebody? They're going to kill me. But even though they're, they're fantastic. But anyway, they are great. So then, now watch. Look how he ends the psalm. Let everything that has praise, that everything that has breath, Everything that's breathing, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's what we should do, right? Praise him for everything. You know, I think of Job, and sometimes things go wrong, and what did Job say? Lord gives, Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. By the way, the Hebrew word baruch is the word bless or praise. From when God uses baruch, it means that he blesses. When we say Baruch, when we say praise the name of Jesus, we're using Baruch, Baruch Hashem Adonai, bless the name of the Lord. When we use it, we're not blessing God, we're praising God. When he uses it to us, he's blessing us. So the Hebrew word Baruch can mean both bless and praise. This He's saying all the way through here, praise, 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 praise him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Don't you think that's a, a, a perfect ending to the Psalms? Praise, I do. Let me give you some applications before we go to our thing, if this will work. 
There we go. Let's recognize the offices of Christ, the Messiah. They're, they're, more, they're more than this. I just wanted you to see these from this psalm and that he's the king and every knee will bow to him and he will rule in righteousness and justice and he's going to come and he's going to set up a kingdom and he's going to rule. And the second thing, he's the great high priest who offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever. And think about what he did. He made the payment for sin. As the, you know, it's one thing to be a priest and offer a sacrifice. He's a priest and offered himself as the sacrifice. He made the final payment, and he lives forever to make intercession for us. It's just amazing. So let's recognize the office. The other thing I just wanted you to think about, let's praise our God, our Savior, our King, and priest as long as we live. Let everything have breath that has breath. Praise the Lord.